Amen. Let's give attention to our, our passage this morning as we continue our series Experiencing God. And we're looking today at Exodus, the third chapter. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word to you today. Exodus 3, verses 1 through 10. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned, and take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and with honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites, where they, where they live. <laughs> Look, the people of God have reached out to me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Verse 10, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people of Israel out of Egypt. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you, guys. Okay, so we started a couple of weeks ago in our journey on experiencing God. And remember, we talked about experiencing God as more than just knowing things about God. In fact, the prayer that Jesus prays for us in John 17, 3, the word know means to experience or to journey with or to relate. And so we've been talking about what does it look like and how do we begin to relate to God in this way? More than just knowing things about God or trying to be a better person, how do I experience God in a relationship? And more specifically, how does God reach me and, and help me to experience him in this way? And so a couple weeks ago, we introduced the idea of realities, that God has been known to work in certain ways with certain people throughout time. And as we look at these certain ways that God has been known to work throughout time with certain people over the course of time, we can start to see patterns or realities of how God has chosen to reveal himself and speak to us and draw us to himself. And so as we've been looking throughout the scriptures, we've been naming together these realities that we see in the scriptures of how God has chosen to speak to people and invite them to experience him at a deeper level. And for each of us in the room today, for those of you who might be watching online today, our hearts cry. The reason why you're here, the reason why you're watching is because we want to understand God more. 
We want to know him more. We want to be able to experience him more and, and to be able to participate and do more of his will in our lives. And so as we search the scriptures together, we start to see these realities of how God has been answering that prayer for you and for me and for people all throughout the course of humanity. And we started with this first reality, just by way of, of reminder, that God is always at work around us. The first reality of experiencing God, that, that before we showed up, long before we came on the scene, God has been working in his world. And in fact, God is always at work around us. And these are sequential. They build on one another. And last week, we talked about the second reality of experiencing God, how to know and do more of his will. And we talked about the fact that God pursues a relationship with each and every one of us, a real relationship that is not based on our behavior. You know, we talked this week in our Wednesday night class, Discovering Jesus, Philip Yancey says, behaviors are important, but it is not the way that we come into a relationship with God. Our relationship with God, this relationship that he pursues with us is not based on morality or behavior, it's based on faith and what he's done for us. And so God pursues a relationship with us. And remember the conversation last week we found from John chapter three, a one-on-one -on -one conversation in relationship, Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a religious leader. He knew so much about God, more than we would probably ever dare to dream, know about God, about the scriptures, facts about God. But Nicodemus didn't know God yet. He knew about God and he wanted to know God. And remember, Jesus says in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. In other words, you have to be born spiritually to this new reality that God pursues a relationship with you, not based on your religiosity, your ethnicity, your background, but he pursues a relationship with you based on what Jesus has done, speaking for himself, that God so loved the world that he gave and he didn't come into the world to condemn the world or judge the world, but to redeem and to rescue the world. So important. And then today, the third reality that we want to look at in experiencing God, and again, these build on one another. God's at work all around us. God pursues a real relationship with us based on faith, not on morality. And thirdly, God invites us to join him in his work. And again, these are very important in sequence because it's out of relationship that God invites us to join him in his work. If we get out of sequence and we just think, I've got to do a bunch of things for God, but I, but I never back here understand that, no, God's always been at work. And God, first and foremost, wants to invite me into a relationship with him. And it's out of that relationship that now he invites me into his work. How many of you remember, or maybe you experienced this as a kid, going to work with a parent or an aunt or uncle or somebody, a neighbor, that it was like, invite your daughter or your son to work day. Any of you experienced that? Am I the only one? Do we do this anymore? I don't know if we do this anymore. I did this with my dad. And I remember my dad had a little green Volkswagen Jetta stick shift. And I remember driving to work really early and going with him to his office and the work that he did. And here's what sticks out to me as a kid. I think I was like six or seven. Um, all kinds of people in, a, in ties, and I've never seen so many people in ties, and people, you know, dressed up and seemed to be really busy doing all kinds of things and sitting in meetings with each other and talking and talking and talking and talking about I don't know what. And then I remember all kinds of um, office supplies. I was mesmerized with paper clips and pens and, and all kinds of different markers and things. 
and then a break room that had snacks that were free and you, there was water you could get and this just seemed like the greatest thing ever for a little kid. And I remember driving home thinking, this is what you do all day, dad? You just, you sit with people and talk with them and eat snacks and this is great. Um, but here's what was really happening as I look back on that is my dad was inviting me into a different dimension of who he was. And the truth is that I only really knew my dad. Uh, he was a very hard worker, grew up very much in a middle class family. Both my parents worked. And I just knew my dad as like when you get home from work, just give dad some space. And then like, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit and then we go to bed and then we all get up early and we go to work and we do it all over again. And then like, I'll see you on the weekend. And this isn't a story about that. It's a story about I only knew my dad in these realms. But when my dad invited me to join him for work, I, I saw a whole other side of him. I saw a whole other dimension about who he was and the work that he was about and how he was providing for his family. And I had all these conversations with him that I'd never had before. And I thought about that this week because it's the same thing that God invites us into. That if I, if I only just go to classes or I come to church and I just learn things about God, that's, that's good. But I really only see one or two dimensions of God. I learn about God. But when I join God in his mission and his work, I see a whole other realm and understanding about who he is and his heart and what he invites me into. And there's a couple of reasons, guys, why God is so passionate in this third reality about inviting each and every one of us to join him in his work. Because let's just state together theologically, God doesn't need us to accomplish his work, okay? He was doing just fine before we came and he could accomplish that on his own. So it begs the question, so why does God invite us into his work? And from Genesis to Revelation, we see this happening. Even in the first two chapters of the garden narrative before sin enters into the world, God invites Adam and Eve to cultivate the garden, to participate in work to get up in the morning and to join him in intending things and stewarding and looking after his creation. From the very beginning, God has invited us to join him in his good works. The question is, why? Why would he do that? Well, just, let me just give a couple reasons. There's probably many, but let me just give two main reasons as we think about this third reality of God inviting us to join him in his work, why God does this as we build a foundation here. The first is that God invites us we just gotta state it really clearly, to help accomplish his mission, to help accomplish the work. Again, God doesn't need us to do it, but he wants us to do it. God wants to use, if you're taking notes, maybe just write this down. God uses his people to accomplish his plans, to share his purposes with all people. Let me say it in a different way. We, God's people, those of us who are followers of Jesus, the people of God, that's the real church. We, the church, are God's plan to share God's purposes with all people. That's how God designed it. And he's been doing that from the very beginning with individuals and with groups of people that follow him to participate in his work because he wants to, to have us experience the joy of accomplishing his work together. He doesn't need us to do it. He wants us to do it. Max Licato tells a wonderful story about a father and his daughter. And they're building a, a playset in the back of the yard. And this is a very complex playset, right? It's got a lot of different pieces, thousands of pieces. 
you know, all kinds of bolts and screws and things. And, you know, I've shared this before, embarrassingly, I am not a technical person. I'm not an instruction reader. Oftentimes I like to just feel my way through it and experience it. it drives Jen crazy. She's an instruction reader, so I'm glad we have one in our house that actually follows instructions and sequentially. And so the dad in this story that Locato tells is following all the instructions. He's got all the pieces laid out. But he's inviting his daughter to, to come out in the yard and join him in that work. And so they're working together and she's handing him pieces and she's doing everything. And at the very end, when it's all put together, the dad hands the daughter a screwdriver and says, I want you to go and I want you to tighten all of these screws and make sure they're all tight and ready to go. And she finishes with the very last screw and turns it all the way in and she drops the screwdriver and says, we did it, dad. And the dad says, yeah, we did. And the whole idea that Lakato tries to get across is like, of course the dad was laying out all the pieces and, and putting everything into place and, and reading the instructions, but he was joyfully inviting his daughter to participate in the work. And at the end, she got the dignity of saying, we did it. And God invites us to do the same. We did it, God. We did it together in accomplishing the mission. And we see this in reality happening over and over and over again in the course of humanity as God invites us. But here's the second reason. Not just to accomplish his work, but this is so, so, so important, but to grow our faith. God invites us into his work so that our faith can grow. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, there comes a point in your journey with Jesus, in your discipleship journey, your following of Jesus, that's what that means. And all of us have a journey that we're on with Jesus. And there comes a point in your discipleship journey that you will not, you cannot grow further unless you actively participate in the mission of Jesus. And what is the mission of Jesus? We're gonna get to this. To help go find other people to follow Jesus and to help them do that. The way we say it here, helping people find and follow Jesus. The way Jesus said it to his disciples, go into the world and make disciples. I love Mark 1.17. We're, we're uh, teaching a, a class together on Wednesday night. Some of you I see, I see you're in here right now. And we're, we're walking through a journey together called Discovering Jesus. Just looking at the teachings of Jesus together. And we're looking at the most concise gospel of the four, which is Mark. You know, an economy of words where Mark scribes the stories of Peter. And he's telling us about Jesus. And in Mark 1.17, if you're taking notes... You know, Jesus says this to his disciples, to his followers, and he says it to us today in relationship to um, reality three that he invites us into his work. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I, I, I love this verse because, you know, from what we see, there wasn't an orientation class. Uh, they didn't know everything. We know, we know that as we read the Gospels. The disciples are fumbling all over themselves. They don't have all the answers. And Jesus says, just come in. This is the ultimate invitation. Just come and join me. Follow after me and I'll make you into the people that you need to be. I'll make you into a disciple maker. I'll help you to, to learn the things that you need to know, to experience the things that you need to experience so you can help other people to do the same. And guys, this comes all the way back to something we've been talking about the last four weeks, that in our journey of experiencing God and thinking about these realities of how we experience God, we have to begin with where are we in relationship to God? And we set out loud, and I shared with you many times in my spiritual journey, I have been way ahead of Jesus. 
And he's way back here, right? I mean, he's a part of my life, but the way it really works, if I'm honest with you, is that when I get into a pinch or I'm at a crossroads, I'm, come on up here, Jesus, and, and give me a word here. Give me some encouragement. Just give me the answer to this prayer. And then once I feel like I've got that, what I needed from you, Jesus, get on back there, Jesus. And let me just keep leading the way here and leading the charge in my life. And guys, I know this sounds you're like, Chris, really? But you can't follow someone unless they're ahead of you. So for me, the, the definition of disciple means a follower. So I can't be a disciple of Jesus if I'm constantly running ahead of him. And I'm saying, just get on up here, Jesus, and give me a little inspiration halftime talk so I can get back out there and do my will for my life. So when, when God invites us and to join his work, it is to accomplish real meaningful work. And it's the most dignifying thing that he can do is inviting us into real meaningful work. It's his creation, the crown of his creation. But it's also to grow us up. And the deal is this, guys. If you want to be a more passionate follower of Jesus, go help someone else to be a passionate follower of Jesus. If you want to learn the Bible, I see a lot of nodding heads right now. If you want to learn the Bible, go teach somebody else the Bible. You've heard me say this before. If you really want to learn the Bible, go teach one of our third grade boys classes. Okay? And when they raise their hand and they say, are there aliens? Or, you know, all kinds of crazy questions and you go... I don't know. I'm going to have to study that. And I'm going to have to come back and give you an answer because I really don't know what you're asking right now. And guess what? You're going to be in your Bible next week going, are there aliens? And, and, and looking for all kinds of stuff and trying to figure out. So you can go back and help your disciples to better follow Jesus. And this is the way that God designed it. That I don't have to know everything to be convicted and convinced about something that I can share with someone else. This is why Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, there are secret things that belong in the heart of God, but the things that God has revealed to us and his, and his children belong to us forever. In other words, the things that God has made known to us and revealed to us, we can hold on to with conviction and help share with other people. And we can in humility say, I don't understand it all. I don't know it all. And there are secrets that are in the heart of God that I'll never understand. And that's why he's God and I'm not but it shouldn't paralyze for me from going and sharing with other people the things that I do know about God that he has revealed to me. And this is what Jesus is saying to his followers when he says, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you into the people to do that and to do real kingdom work. Last thing on this. When I join God in his work, it's a reorientation, again, to my place in the order here. Because if I'm joining God in his work, then I'm following him in the work that he's already doing in the world through a real relationship that he pursues with me at an invitation that he invites me into. When I'm out front, I'm constantly inviting Jesus into my work. God, come up here and help me accomplish my plan. Just bless my plans. And some of you are so mad at God, God if I can just say this prophetically, and I'm, I'm not trying to step on toes, but I'm just gonna say it. Some of you are so angry with God because he's not blessing your plans. And God's busy helping to reorient and get you to a place where you're willing to follow him and his plans. And so this is a reorientation of God inviting me. And it's Jesus' prayer. Thy kingdom come, Father. Thy will be done on earth. Your mission be done on earth, not mine. So when I join God in his work, I'm living out that prayer. And the kingdom work of God 
is always something that gives to me. Everyone watch this. This is so powerful from the narrative of Moses. Back to our text. When God speaks to Moses in this miracle moment, this only God moment through a burning bush, what gets Moses' attention? It's a bush that is burning, which he's probably seen before in the desert, that the heat causes bushes to spontaneously combust. So he's probably seen bushes that just explode with fire before. But what's different about this bush? It doesn't consume the bush. And this tells us something about how God works in his invitation to us. It's not consuming of you. God doesn't need you as like wood on the fire. God doesn't use you or consume you in his work. God's work and his invitation for you to join him is always about giving you life. It's always about inviting you into this power that is self-sufficient called God himself that doesn't need us but invites us to participate in the work that he's doing all around us. And, and, and how does that happen? How does God invite us into his work? Again, let's go back to our realities. When we want to know what God is saying, we go back to what God has said. When we want to know what God is doing, we go back to what God has done. So what can we learn about how God invites people into his mission, into his work? Let's use the story of Moses. And for a couple of minutes, let's just take a few notes and notice some things about how God invites Moses into his work. And as you hear these, I hope you'll be thinking, how is God inviting me into his work? The first thing that we need to notice as we look at the text is Moses' story. And I want to encourage you to go read this for yourself in Exodus chapter 1. And we're going to get to chapter 3, but if you just read the first three chapters of Exodus, you can do it in 20 minutes sitting down and noticing what God is doing. You're going to see themes and realities of how God spoke to Moses, how God can speak to you and invite you to join him in his work. And the first thing that you're going to notice right away is that Moses' story was a mess This is a part of of the scriptures and the story that maybe you weren't taught before. Maybe you've never heard before. Moses was given away by his mom because he was under threat of persecution and slavery and even death. And so so she, she pushes him, remember, into the Nile. Can you imagine a mother doing that with her child? But she does out of desperation. And in God's providence, it's Pharaoh's own daughter that sees him and adopts Moses into their family. And so just if you're taking notes, Moses lived, his story, his life was 120 years. And his first 40 years, the first third of his life, he grows up in the household of Pharaoh. But again, put yourself in his situation. He's a Hebrew, but he's not a Hebrew. He didn't grow up in a Hebrew home, learning all the things and with his siblings and his mom and dad in the community of the Hebrews that were slaves in Egypt. He's an Egyptian, but he's not really an Egyptian. He, he, he's, he's not a natural-born Egyptian. He was adopted into the family, and so he doesn't really have a place. Who is, who is Moses? What is his story? What is his identity? This had to be something that he wrestled with. And yet there's something deep inside of Moses that we see from an early age that, that has a concern, that more than a concern, it's a, it's a righteous indignation. It's, a, it's an opposition to what he sees, an injustice that's being done to the Hebrews. And one day, just to fast forward in his story, because it's all part of God inviting him, Moses takes matters into his own hands. He sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, which he probably saw every day. And he finds himself in the awkward position of being a Hebrew, but also being an Egyptian. 
He's a man in conflict. And he sees this happening and he takes matters into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian. He murders him in cold blood. And then, if that's not bad enough, he takes him and buries him in the sand to cover up his sin. But he gets exposed. He gets found out. And it's out of that that Pharaoh himself finds out. And maybe you didn't realize this about Moses' story. He's a fugitive at age 40, at the end of the first third of his life. He's on the run. He's exiled and banished. He was never really a Hebrew. He was never really an Egyptian. And now he's a fugitive on the run. He doesn't have a home. And he finds himself in Exodus chapter 2 on the run in a place called Midian. And if you're taking notes, maybe just write down Midian. And Midian means wilderness. Or it can also mean in the Hebrew, middle. And so if you think about Moses' life, 40 years, his first 40 years in Egypt, and all the mess of his story. And then the next 40 years, he's going to spend in a place called Midian, the middle years, in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. And when we catch up to Moses here in his story, what I think is one of the most profound verses in all of the Bible And when I get to heaven, it will definitely be one of the scenes that I want to rent and watch for myself, right, of what it really looked like. Here's Moses. I just want you to, let's just just go together in this moment. Here's Moses as a 40-year-old man who doesn't really know who he is. He's not an Egyptian. He's not a Hebrew. Now he's committed murder. He's a fugitive. He's on the run. He finds himself in Midian, the middle of nowhere, a wilderness. And the scripture says here, in Exodus 2, verse 15, write it down. Exodus 2, 15, the latter part of the verse says, and Moses sat down by a well in Midian. And I have always wondered when I read that passage, what must that have been like for Moses? To sit down by a well, and I'm sure to think about how in the world did I get here? Like my whole life has come undone. Why in the world did I do what I did? I feel, he must have been filled with deep regret and pain. I, I, I can't be with my natural family. I can't be with my adoptive family. I don't have a home. I don't have a job. I don't have a, a wife. I don't have children. W- what am I going to do? And I'm sure in that moment, and maybe you're in that moment, Maybe you've been in a season like that, or you will be. I'm sure in that moment, Moses was tempted to believe that the best part of my life is is behind me. My life is over. And whatever was happening and whatever concerns I had for other people and whatever my motive was in trying to do the right thing, I did it in all the wrong ways. And my life is over. And please please don't miss this in the story. And go and read it for yourself. In Exodus chapter 2, as he's sitting by that well, this is the moment that his deep concern, this conviction, this, this really, this calling to right wrongs, to be a voice for the voiceless, to stand up for people and to rescue people who are being abused and enslaved, it, it all wells up again in this moment and it's no coincidence And in the story in Exodus chapter 2, as he's sitting down by the well, probably wondering what just happened in my life, and my life is over with, there's a group of ladies that come, seven of them, with the flock of their father, a man named Jethro. 
who didn't have any sons. And his seven daughters would take the flock every day to water at this watering hole, this well that Moses found himself sitting by. And so Moses is sitting there having this moment, right? And all of a sudden it's interrupted by this chaos that ensues with these daughters of Jethro who are trying to water the flock of their father and the other shepherds who would come to the same well. And guess what happened? The other shepherds were bullying these girls. They were pushing them out of the way. They were saying, you know your place or you're last. Get to the back of the line. And guess what happens? Here's Moses, who's got this deep concern inside of him for justice and to be a part of what God wants to do to rescue people who need to be rescued and need to be helped. And he can't stand it. He cannot sit by and watch this. So he gets up and he takes care. We don't know exactly what happens, but he takes care of the problem. We know he didn't murder anybody, so that's progress right? He's beginning to grow a little bit. He probably punched some people in the mouth. And they, they flee. The other shepherds flee. And the daughters are able to water their flock. And they go back and they tell their dad. And the dad says, why are you home early? Normally you're back at the end of the day because you get bullied and pushed to the back of the line. And they say, well, not today. Because we met this man. And he stood up for us and he rescued us. And Jethro says, well, I want to meet this guy. And so they have a meal together and one thing leads to the other and Moses ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughters and they have a child together. And, and in Exodus 2.21, it says that Moses settled in Midian. He began to be a shepherd for Jethro. Think about this, to take care of animals, to water them every day, to look after them, to lead them, to guide them. It was a very solitary role, shepherding was. He had a lot of time to himself to contemplate his life. And so for the next 40 years, these middle years, Moses is a, a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. And here's what's busy happening, guys, that I want to just point out. Is that God was helping Moses' character to catch up to his concern. Moses had this deep concern and conviction internally to rescue and redeem and help people that was a concern that God gave him in his story that was all kinds of messed up. His story was, and maybe yours is too. But God put a burden on his heart to help people. And we have to pay attention to those burdens on our hearts. We have to pay attention to the concerns that we have. Sometimes we dismiss them. We don't think that they mean a whole lot. But the thing that wakes you up in the morning and keeps you up at night is something to pay attention to. What is it that is happening in the world or in your world that you, you just can't allow that to go on? I, I just can't be quiet about that. I, I cannot let this bullying pass. I cannot let this abuse go unchecked. But what you need to see happen in the narrative of Moses and in each of our narratives is that Moses, the Moses of Exodus 1 and 2 was not ready to be the Moses that stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. He wasn't ready yet. He had the concern but he didn't have the character. And as John Orberg says, there's nothing more painful than to watch somebody who has great gifts and no character. The burden of having great gifts but no character because they're always making a mess of it in spectacular ways because of their gifts. And we've all seen that happen. Many of us, that's happened to us. So God has to catch up our character to our concern and our calling and that's what happens. And the reality is, guys, watch this. When your concern begins to match your character, a godly character, when a godly concern or burden begins to match godly character, now you're in the realm of calling. 
Now you're in the realm of calling. If you just have character, but you don't have any kind of concern for other people, that's not a calling. If you just have concerns for other people, where we meet Moses in Exodus 1 and 2, but you don't have the character to match it, you're not in the realm of calling. When your concern begins to match, you know, your, your character, now you're in the realm of godly calling. And this is what's happening for Moses. And I just want to say this. So, so many of you, as you hear this story, and we think about this reality of God inviting us into his work, so many of you believe that your best days are behind you. And, and you may not say that out loud or verbalize it, but that's what you believe. And you're sitting at a well, just like Moses was in Exodus 2.15, and you're contemplating your life, and the reality is that your memories are exceeding your dreams. And I'm sure that was the case for Moses. And I'm, I can't imagine how many times with that concern that he had for his people who were back in Egypt, how many times he probably woke up in the middle of the night thinking, how are my mom and dad? How are my siblings? How are my people? Are they still being abused? I wonder what will happen to them. I, I, I probably will never see them again. And I'm sure he was tempted, Exodus 2.21, if you're taking notes, it says that he settled in Midian. I'm sure he was tempted to just settle in this middle place that this is all there will ever be for my life. And some of you, just to say, have settled. And you've forgotten that deep burden and conviction that God put in your heart. And the work that he wants to do in you so that he can work through you. And the reality is that as long as you're here, God's not done with you. That he's relentlessly pursuing you to join him in the work around him. I love what Christine Kane said. She said, God isn't looking for heroes. He's looking for co-laborers. Not looking for heroes, he's looking for co-laborers. And when we meet Moses here in the first 80 years of his life, he doesn't look anything like a hero. It's at 80 years old. Let me say that again. 80 years old that God makes himself known in this only God moment, this burning bush moment that may be the most famous only God moment miracle in the Bible of calling. It's only then when, when Moses' concern and character match each other that God makes himself known and reveals himself in this miraculous way. And it's only after Moses turns his attention towards God in this way that God speaks his name. And then, go read it again for yourself, Exodus chapter 3 begins to speak his mission and purpose. He says, I've heard the cries of my people. I know their abuse. I, I, I know their torture. And I'm going to do something about it. And I'm sure in that, Moses, uh, in that moment, Moses is thinking, what are you going to do about it? And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you. And if you go read the rest of the story, you're going to see the ultimate bargaining between Moses and God. Me? Not me. I can't do this. Over and over and over again, which I love that that's included. Because that's all part of the process of saying yes to God's will and plan and inviting and accepting the invitation to join him in the work. Is this whole idea of I'm not adequate. I can't do it. Do you know my story? Do you know what I've done? But Moses is ready in his life now with his character and his deep conviction and concern to actually join God in his work. And I just want you to pay attention to this. When God chooses to rescue his people after 400 plus years of being enslaved, he could have just done it on his own, but he calls somebody to join him in that work and to lead his people. And it's the same narrative for us today. And you say, okay, Chris, but here's the thing. 
you know, you're talking about these only God miracle moments. These things, you know, that only, you, you can only explain by just God. You know, I can't explain the circumstance. I can't explain why this happened other than God just showed up and did something. You say, here's the thing. If God would put one of my shrubs in my front yard on fire and it wouldn't burn up, then, then I would believe him. And then I would join him in his work. And I think that's fair just to say that, that this miraculous thing that happens to, to Moses that seemingly is a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing. You just go, well, if that happened to me, then I would go do the thing too. But I, I love what Elizabeth um, Barrett Browning says about this. I, I, I put the quote here if you want to take a screenshot of it or just write it down. I love what she says about this. This is in John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted. She says, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. What does this mean? What, what word sticks out to you? The word that sticks out to me is common. Common. In other words, the everyday common things where God is working and inviting me and these miraculous moments where this person intersects you, the very person that you've been praying for, this thing happens, the very thing that you've been waiting to happen, whatever that might be for you. But we're so busy and we're so you know, consumed with our own agenda that we, we miss it. And I think what Elizabeth is saying here is that you know, this reality that God's always inviting us into his work and there's, there's burning bushes all around us. But it requires us, just like Moses did, to... It wasn't until Moses turned his attention to the bush that God began to speak. And then God says, take off your shoes because you're standing on a sacred ground. You're in my presence. In other words, you're gonna worship. And it's why we say here that worship, the act of worship, whether it's musical or whatever it might be in our lives, worship is our response to God's revelation. It's a response to how God has already made himself known. We're responding to the fact that God's always at work, that he's pursuing a relationship with us, that he's inviting us to join his work. And so many of us miss the burning bushes around us that are found in the Monday morning type of things because we're not paying attention and we're not willing to take our shoes off and, and worship God for the everyday ways that he makes himself known to us. So God uses our stories, particularly the, the messiness of our stories, God uses our concerns, the things that he's put deep within our hearts, the things that wake us up and keep us up. And God does use these only God moments, these, these miracle moments that happen in all kinds of different ways to, to not only get our attention, but to make himself known to us and invite us to respond and worship to him, which is exactly what happens. And you know the rest of the story of Moses getting to Egypt. But again, we never would have gotten to Egypt with Moses as an 80-year-old redeemer if Moses didn't live in his story the first 40 years and experience all the mess of that, if Moses didn't have the middle years of formation and matching his character with the concerns and getting to the place where he could actually pay attention to how God was inviting him into the story. And let's fast forward to close here. Because 1,400 plus years later, after Moses, there's another rescuer that shows up. And it's actually the rescuer that Moses and all the other folks in the scriptures have been a forerunner of. All of them are pointing to this ultimate capital R redeemer and rescuer. And Jesus, the ultimate rescuer, stands on a mountain, just like Moses. 
and he invites his followers to join him in his mission. It's actually an invitation. It goes like this. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always, even until the very end. This is an invitation to join him in his work. It's a, in military vernacular, it's a standing order. It's an order that still exists today for, for all of us who are his followers to join him in his work. And, and I'll just close here because I think this is beautiful. One of the people, to personalize it, that was standing on the mountain with the rescuer Jesus being invited into his work, writes these words at the very end of his life as he's looking back on everything that's happened in his life and that he's experienced. John writes these words in 3 John verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. What does that mean? It means my spiritual children, the people that God has given me the privilege and the honor to come beside and to invest in and to disciple and to to help them find and follow Jesus just like I did. At the end of my life, I have no greater joy than to see them walking in the truth. Let me say it another way through a man named G.K. Chesterton. He said this, the older I get, my only real thrill is to see God's work in people's lives. So many things in our world that are trying to grab our attention, and I love this, this is wisdom. At the end of my life, the only thing that really matters is God working in other people's lives and his invitation for me to join him in that work. Reality number three, God is always, always inviting us to join him in his work. To Christ alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for always working around us that long before we showed up here, you were at work. Thank you for pursuing a real relationship with us that's not based on being a good little boy or a good little girl. It's based on faith and trust in who you are and what you've done for us, Jesus. And thank you for the dignity of being invited to join you in your great mission, the greatest mission in the world, to go and make disciples. Thank you, Lord. Would you help us to see in the common bushes around us your fire? And would you help us to take our shoes off and to acknowledge that we're in your presence, that you're, you're making yourself known to us? Would you give us eyes to see how you're working in our lives? And would you help us to respond to you with the invitation to say yes to your work? We give you the glory for it and the honor for it. And we thank you for the privilege of, of joining you in your great work. In Christ's name, amen. So we stand as we respond together.
burst from sea and sky from a Thank you guys so much for being here today and 
If you're looking to get connected here at New City, we would love for this to be your church home. And the easiest way for that to happen today is to stop by Connection Point, which is straight out the main doors here in the courtyard. I see the sun has popped out, so it was a beautiful day. And we'd love for you guys to join us out there. We have a gift for you if you're new. And again, we just want to help you get involved in a group or in a team uh, to call this place your home. So be sure to stop by there today. If you're wanting to pray with someone, our team will be up here afterwards. We'd love to pray with you or, or talk with you. And uh, we see offering and giving as an act of worship. It is a part of responding to God's revelation. And if God uh, is moving in you and uh, moving your heart to give in that way, you can do so online or you can do so in the teal boxes at the doors when you leave today. And we're grateful for that. Last announcement, uh, before we go, we're starting a class next week called Newly and Nearly Married. So if you are newly married or you are almost married, um, you're getting there, you're engaged or moving towards that, we'd love to connect with you. Um, This is all about helping to grow your relationship and build a really good foundation in your marriage. And so uh, you can register at the URL there or stop by Connection Point. We have space for you and that begins next week, all right? If you're able, would you extend your hands for a blessing as we go today? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord Jesus make his face to shine upon yours. May the Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance, his attention upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week until we gather again, fill you with his life, his purpose, and his love. In the mighty name of King Jesus, amen. Amen. Love you, New City.